Good morning. Well, it's already been a good weekend. It's funny you knew where I was going with that, John. England got through to the semi-final of the Rugby World Cup, and Ireland didn't. What a great weekend already. Uh, if only Wales had gone out, it would have been a full house. <laughs> but no, it's been cool. It's been a good, a good, uh, you know, a good set of worship this morning. So thanks Grace and the team for, for leading us in that. Uh, and as Hull said, if you're new here, uh, you are really welcome. We hope that you feel like you're part of our family, uh, that you feel part of us. Um, and if you are new, you probably won't know that over the last couple of weeks we've been going through uh, a, a series called Will It Be Us? And this is uh, kind of our vision series that we've been going through. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, Dan presented or represented the, the vision of our church and the mission and some guiding principles and values that we as a church want to, uh, want to see going forward. So my task today is... Ask, are we going to be the people that step into that vision? Are we going to be the people uh, that make that vision happen? Because I think it's a great vision. Are we going to be the church that pursues the heart of God? Are we going to be a church that multiplies and grows? Are we going to be a church that talks with its hands? Are we going to be a church that has a voice of influence? Are we going to be a church that makes kings and queens? Are we going to be a church that expresses our creativity? Are we going to be a church that builds a genuine family? And are we going to be... Thank you! At least someone's with me. I mean, I hope the podcast picks that up, Eliza. That would sound weird. Um, and then, you know, our guiding principles. Are we going to be people that make that vision happen by being people who are Jesus-centered? By people who are spirit-filled and spirit-led? By people that are loving? That people by, are we going to be people that are generous, that are honoring, that are risk-taking, that are creative and that are excellent? See, this, for me, this isn't a short-term vision. This isn't a vision for a couple of years. Now, for me, this is a vision for my life. This is something that I'm going to be here to make happen until God calls me out somewhere else. But I don't think he will. But to do that, to, do, to recognize and to um, achieve that vision, it ain't going to be easy. This isn't going to be... Uh, the easiest thing that we as a church will do it is going to require some perseverance. It's going to require making some mistakes. It's going to require some obedience and taking some risk. But it also is going to require everyone playing their part. And the kind of the crux of this message and the crux of this series, Will It Be Us, is that God rarely gives us or gifts us breakthrough or growth. He doesn't just gift it us. Often he can fulfill his promises in our obedience, in our response, in our stepping into something, stepping into faith. 
So actually, the vision that God has got for our church is dependent on us stepping into it. If we're going to achieve it, we have to be obedient. If we're going to achieve it, we have to respond. If we're going to achieve it, we're going to have to step out. And that's the story that we're going to look at today. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, can you just uh, go to Matthew chapter 14? Today we're looking at the story of uh, Jesus and Peter walking on the water. So it's Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 23. Sorry, 22 to 33. So it says this, verse 22, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already some considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then uh, Then Peter got out the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were on the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So this morning, I just want to go through a couple of verses at the time, that, that, that passage, but just some context before we do. This story is in three of the four Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and John. But interestingly, it's only, the, uh, the only, it's only in Matthew where Peter walking on water gets mentioned. The other two in Mark and John, they don't mention Peter. They just mention uh, Jesus walking on water. And previously in Matthew, uh, in Matthew chapter 8, there's a story uh, where Jesus calms the storm. So again, the disciples were on the boat, but Jesus was on the boat with them this time, and he was asleep, and the disciples were terrified, the wind was crashing, the waves, um, they were worried the boat was going to sink, and they cried out to Jesus, they woke Jesus, and Jesus woke up and calmed the storm. Now that's not the same story as this, but it's important to know that that happened before this story. And just before the passage that we've just read in Matthew 14, there was the feeding of the 5,000. So when the passage says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, that was just after the feeding of the 5,000. So let's just read that, that opening couple of verses again. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Sorry, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side whilst he dismissed the crowd after he dismissed them he went on to a mountainside went up to a mountainside by himself to pray now matthew uses the word immediately three times just in this passage alone 
immediately Jesus. Jesus immediately did this. But then immediately Jesus made the disciples get onto the boat. In the message version it said that Jesus insisted that disciples got onto the boat. Now, for those of you who ever served on Heart Day, will know that Heart Day is quite a tiring day. You know, distributing chocolate to 700 people in the community is quite a tiring thing to do. Now, imagine if you were the disciples. You've just fed 5,000 men, probably 10,000, 15,000 people. You have administrated the distribution of a lot of tuna sandwiches. The last thing I would want to do would be to jump on a boat late at night and row for a few hours. This boat didn't have a nice little motor on the back that they could just have a bit of a rest while, and whilst they take turns to steer. This was in John's Gospel. It says that they, they rowed for three to four miles before they saw Jesus. In Matthew's Gospel, it says that Jesus appeared to them just before dawn. So they were going for a while. A day straight after feeding upward of 10,000 people. And Jesus didn't even go with them. Off you go. Let's carry on reading. Pick up the second part of... Um, Verse 23, later that night, Jesus was there alone, and the boat was already, consum- already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Jesus knew. Jesus deliberately sent his disciples into that storm, and he didn't go with them. Jesus deliberately sent his disciples. He immediately kicked his disciples and told them to get on that boat. Why? To go into a storm. And Jesus knew. So I think we can be very quick when things go wrong in our life to blame the devil, can't we? Oh, things are really tough at the moment. The devil's really playing with me. Oh, things are really hard at the moment. The devil must be playing his games with me. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes the storms in our lives are self-inflicted but we can see here that the storms in these disciples lives Jesus knowingly sent them into but why did he send them into it? He sent them into that storm to teach them something but also to give them an opportunity to be obedient as we'll start to see as we go through the passage a little bit more So the disciples who had been rowing all night, probably for three or four hours, they start hitting the waves and the wind. It's the middle of the night. They're probably fearing for their lives. In Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars, but because the the wind was against them. And then suddenly they see Jesus walking on the water. And the disciples were exactly where Jesus wanted them to be. Bang in the middle of the storm. So just because your life is hard 
doesn't mean it's not of God. Just because your life is hard doesn't mean it's not of God. Just because there's a storm doesn't mean you stop rowing. I think we can be way too quick to give up. I think we can be way too quick when the wind comes and the waves start hitting us and things in our life don't go exactly as we thought it would be or they would go, we stop when we want to quit. But it's amazing how often God shows up in a storm. See, if Peter had just gone, the wind was against them. So the easiest thing to do, if I was in that boat, I'd be like, right, let's go with the wind, let's go back. Like this, it's not where we should go, but I don't even know how Jesus is going to get to the other side. So maybe we should just go back and pick him up. Like this, that would be the easiest thing to do. But if Peter had done that, he'd have missed the miracle at the other side. If Peter had decided, you know what, let's turn back, I'm going to go with the wind, let's head back to where we were, there might even be some leftover sandwiches, like, we'll get some sleep and we'll go again in the morning. He would have missed the miracle on the other side. So let's carry on reading verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, casually, as you do. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. In Mark's gospel, it says this. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out because all they because they all saw him and they were terrified. He was about to pass them by. He wasn't even going to help them. He wasn't even going to rescue them. He was just going to the other side. He wasn't even supposed to be there. He wasn't even supposed to help them. But because they cried out, Jesus stopped because they cried out. So sometimes when we're in our storm, God's wanting to work something out in that storm, but he's waiting for us to cry out. Jesus wasn't going to rescue them. He was just passing by. And it's only when they cried out that he stopped. So maybe in your storm or when you go through storms, God's wanting to work something out with you, but he's waiting for you to cry out to him. See, I love this bit because it shows how compassionate Jesus is. It shows Jesus' goodness, that he's concerned for us, that he came when we cry. But it also shows that we have a part to play. We can't just sit there, wait for God to come and rescue us. And that's so easy to do, isn't it? When you're in a storm, when you're in a time of your life where you can't work out what's going on and you don't understand what's going on and we just sit in our own little pity party and instead God wants us to cry out. So God shows up in storms but he shows up when we cry out. 
That's Karen reading in verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I'm not sure if I was Peter, that's what I'd have asked. I'll be totally honest with you. Bearing in mind, the context is, a few weeks ago, months ago, they were in a similar situation on a boat. It was in the middle of the storm. Jesus was asleep. They woke Jesus up, and, and then Jesus straight away just calmed the storm. I'd be like, Jesus, if he's you, do that again. Calm the storm again. Jesus, if it is you, make my situation easier. But Peter doesn't pray that. Oh, sorry, Peter doesn't say that. Peter doesn't ask for an improvement in his conditions. He doesn't ask for his situation to improve. Peter asks for a command. If it is you, tell me to come to you. If it is you, tell me what to do. Not, if it is you, make my life better. If it is you, get me out of this storm. If it is you, just make everything good. Peter doesn't ask that. Pete asked for a command. If it is you, tell me to come. What's he asking? If it is you, tell me to walk on the water. What? Only one person in history has ever done that, and he was watching him do it. See, again, we expect God just to sort everything for us. But I think we need to stop asking God for some guarantees and start asking for a command. God, how are you going to use me in this situation? God, what are you trying to teach me in this situation? God, tell me to get out of the boat. God, if it is you, tell me to walk on the water. Not, God, if it is you, make my life better. And maybe when it comes to the church vision, we should stop praying for the vision and start praying how God's going to use you in the vision. I mean, it's nice, don't get me wrong, it's nice to pray for the vision. God, bring lots of people, Lord, I just pray that this happens and this happens. But no, God, how are you going to use me? A couple of us, Dan and Holes, were at the, uh, the FM conference back in May, and uh, there was a, one of the bishops from America who did a session which we all loved, uh, and it was called How to Be a Transformational Church. And one of his points that always and always stuck with me and has stuck with me ever since, was a transformational church is not a church that prays for, it's a church that prays with. So when someone comes to you and says, oh, I'm really struggling, we, what we don't say is, cool, I'll pray for you. It's like, no, we'll pray with you. We'll pray with you right now. And I think that's what we need to do when we think about our church vision. Let's not just pray for it. Let's just ask God how we can be part of it, what he wants us to do as part of it. So that session by this bishop, Matt Thomas, really challenged me. And I, I've really tried since then to stop saying to someone, I'll pray for you. And say, I'll pray with you right now. 
So I'm saying to this to you now, you see me in Morrison's, you see me in the gym, you see me walking around Kirkham Wesson, and you need something to pray for, I'll pray with you right there and then. Now there's a hundred people in this room, and I've got a colleague in this room, which is a which is an interesting thing to say. But I'm serious. Let's be a church that prays with people. Let's not be a church that prays for people. Let's be a church that doesn't just pray for our vision. Let's be a church that, that, that we pray for command in how we make this vision happen. So Peter asks for command. He doesn't ask for a change in his circumstances. Verse 29, it says, Jesus then says, Come. Peter gets out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? So Peter asked for a command, and Jesus gave, gives him one. Just come. Just take a step. And to be fair to Peter, in that moment, he becomes the second person to ever walk on water for a short time. But I heard one preacher say it like this. The moment the wind becomes bigger than the word in your life, you'll start sinking. So the minute that the troubles that you're going through become bigger than God in your life, you're going to start sinking. And the weird thing is, Peter was a fisherman. This is what, this was his office. He was on the water that he would have been every day for his working career. This probably wasn't the first storm that he was in. This probably wasn't the first bit of wind that he encountered. But it says... When he saw the wind, he was afraid. Now, if that had been me, I get it. Like, I'm not on a boat that often. Like, I haven't got the best balance. So if the wind does start whacking against the boat, I'm going to be a bit frightened. If I'm walking on water, I'm probably going to fall over if the wind starts hitting me. But Peter, this was his life. So he actually gets distracted by something that he, get, he experiences every day. This was absolutely normal to Peter. What wasn't normal was walking on water. But he was doing that, but then he got distracted by something that was normal. It wasn't like a talking dolphin suddenly appeared and started chatting to him, going, Peter, what are you doing? I don't get that. If you get distracted by that, I'm like, oh, okay, started sinking. I get it. But the, the wind, he experiences every day. And when I was prepping, don't. When I, when I was prepping for this, I left. I read a lot of messages that were along the lines of, um, "Don't take your eyes off Jesus." Every other preacher that I, I, you know, found the message was entitled, "Don't take your eyes off Jesus." And I think Peter gets a bad rap in this story. I really do. Because essentially, what does Peter do? He hears Jesus' voice and he steps out. 
Where are the other disciples? They're in the boat. They're playing it safe. Peter hears Jesus' voice and steps out. Do you know why I think this doesn't appear in John's gospel? Because John was like, yeah, I didn't step out. I'm not going to big Peter up right now. I don't think that was true, but I'd like to think it kind of is. If I was John, I'd be like, I ain't bigging him up because I was on the boat. I was playing it safe. Peter was the one that got off the boat. But do you know why? The, re- the real reason why I don't think John mentioned this in his gospel is because this story is nothing to do with Peter's lack of faith. This story is nothing to do with Peter's lack of faith. This story is about the size of God's grace. And what I love about Peter, not just in this story, but you look at you know Peter's you know time timeline. He does some stupid stuff, but he does some great stuff. And I think his life is like a roller coaster, isn't it? There's some ups and there's some downs. And I think that's what this story's shown us: is that yeah, there's going to be times in your life where you will preach, and thousands of people will come to know Jesus, as Peter did. There'll also be times when you lob off a centurion's ear. There'll also be times you step out of a boat. There'll also be times when you deny Jesus. And I think what this story is saying is that, yeah, we will fall. Yes, there's going to be failings in our lives because we're not perfect. But we need to be close enough to Jesus that he can catch us when we do. So this story is nothing to do with... Peter's lack of faith. This story's got everything to do with the size of God's grace. Verse 32, if we carry on reading, then says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Of course it did. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The wind stopped as soon as they got into the boat. I think that's God's just like, I think God's got a great sense of humor. It's like the one thing I would have, I would have asked for, just calm the storm. The moment that little incident with Peter is over, the storm's calmed. For me, it's just like, God's in control. It's a totally another signal, another example how in control God is. Now, again, picture you on that boat with your mates. Your mate just took a step. Be like me stepping off the stage and expecting to stay at the same level, really. Shall I do it? I'm joking. Um, but imagine that was your mate, a guy that you spent a lot of time with, and you take that step of faith. He takes that step of faith. And he starts sinking, and Jesus has to rescue him. You chuck him back into the boat. What would you do to your mate? See, I'm pretty sure if you're a guy right now, you're thinking, I'll probably rib him a little. If you're a girl, you're probably thinking, where are the blankets? Like, where are the towels? Like, have we got one of them kind of foil blankets for Peter? I don't want him to catch a death. But it's cool, because no one rushes to Peter's aid in this story. 
And in all the three accounts of the, this story in the three other Gospels, once Peter's back in the boat, who's Peter? He doesn't get mentioned again. So no one rushes to his aid. In fact, they all start worshipping Jesus as the Son of God. And the reason why they do that is because actually this is a significant time. Certainly in the first time in the book of Matthew, do we actually see the disciples worshipping Jesus as the Son of God. That's significant. This is the first time Peter, in particular, as well as the other disciples, accept that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, they've been around him for quite a bit already. They've just seen him multiply a load of loaves. They saw him a few weeks ago or months ago, uh, you know, calm a storm. Their reaction when he calmed the storm previously was, this is some sort of weirdo. Like, how can he calm a storm? So now, he calms a storm, he multiplies loaves, and they get down on their knees and they start worshipping. This story is not about Peter's faith. It's about the size of God's grace. And I love it because it's a great example of this story is essentially the gospel. See, God's grace and God's love, God's mercy is bigger than our failings. We just have to accept that and turn to him and ask for forgiveness. And I think that's why we see the disciples in this story. But, and there's a but, We aren't just to sit around and wait for God to move. You know, if God's grace is bigger than our failings, then why do we play it safe? Why do we stay in the boat? You know, back to the point at the beginning of the sermon and the point of the whole series that we're going through is that God doesn't just gift us with breakthrough and growth. He doesn't. And if he does, it's pretty rare. But he often fulfills his promises by offering us an opportunity to be obedient. And I think in this story, Jesus offered Peter an opportunity to be obedient. See, if Peter had stopped rowing, the miracle wouldn't have happened. If Peter had decided... I'm sick of these waves. Let's go back to shore. Let's go and pick Jesus up. Let's go and get some food. Let's go and get some rest. We'll go again in the morning. If Peter had said that, he'd have missed the miracle. If Peter hadn't cried out in the middle of the storm, he'd have missed the miracle. If Peter hadn't asked for a command, he'd have missed the miracle. And what is the miracle? What was Jesus trying to teach Peter and the other disciples in this story? I think the miracle was their growth. I think the miracle was them 
growing in their faith. Because for the first time, all the disciples, it says everyone in that boat, confessed their faith in Jesus and worshipped him as the Son of God. So that first, that first time they see Jesus as the person who occupies the fullness of God in human form. The first time. They accept that Jesus is a confirmation of their faith in Jesus because they, they've seen him perform miracles. They've seen him turn um, a couple of loaves of bread into feeding thousands of people. They've seen him walking on water. They've seen him calm storms. And it's only at that point, based on the evidence that they have seen, that they actually make a confession. And the confession is, Jesus, you are the Son of God. Jesus, the fullness of God, sits in you. You truly are the Son of God. That was their expression. Now, if Peter had turned around, or if Peter hadn't cried out in the storm, or if Peter hadn't asked for a command, he wouldn't have experienced that. He would not have experienced the fullness of God if he quit. He would not have experienced the fullness of God if he didn't cry out to him. He would not have experienced the fullness of God if he had just prayed for the, his situation to change. He experienced the fullness of God by sticking at it. He experienced the fullness of God by sticking at it, by not giving up and by crying out to God. And he also experienced the fullness of God by asking God what I could do, what he could do not asking God to change his circumstances. Now, do you see yourself in any of those? I've prayed those prayers. God, just change this situation. Some of the storms I've been in, and fair enough, I probably haven't been in the same storms that some of you guys have been. But when you go through them, the ones that I can think of and the ones, the ones that I can think where I've experienced God the most has been the times where I've experienced him most in my life because I was truly dependent on him. The same way Peter was out of the boat, walking on water, looks around and starts sinking and he thinks the only person that can save me right now is Jesus and he cries out to Jesus. So Peter experienced the fullness of God for the first time in his life by stepping out, by crying out, and by not quitting. So as we as a church, are we going to experience the fullness of God and the fullness of his vision and plan for, our, for us? And if we are, do you know what we need to do? We, don't, we shouldn't quit when things get hard. We should cry out to God and we should ask God how we are to be part of this. We should stop just praying for and we should start praying with. How is God going to use me in this vision? How is God going to use us as people? Because I truly believe everyone in this room that calls themselves a member of this church or a part of this church has a role to play. It says that. It says that in Ephesians. Every member of this church has a role to play. But are you willing to play it? Are you willing, as Peter did, just to take that step? Or you just want to play it safe? Because you could be like the other disciples and you can just stay in the boat. 
Yes, things might get rocky every now and again. But do you know what the cool thing was? They experienced the fullness of God that day because of what Peter did. In my opinion. So are we going to be that, that, that people, that collection of people that says, do you know what, I'm going to stick at it. Even when I feel like quitting, even when I feel like turning around, even when I feel like giving up, I'm going to stay at it. Do you know what does that look like? That looks like discipline. That looks like perseverance. That looks like community. That looks like life groups and discipleship. That looks like our church. That is what our church is for. We don't have life groups for a laugh. We have life groups... So you have people in your life that can support you when you're going through these storms. You've got people in your life that are in the same boat as you. Why do we have discipleship? So we can learn to cry out to God. We can learn how to be dependent on God. We can learn how to be dependent in studying God's word. Why do we have worship? To cry out to God. To give thanks to God. Like, we don't just do stuff in church for the sake of doing it. There's a reason why we do stuff. And I say it every time. If you only just come on a Sunday morning, you experience 50% of what we, we do as a church. If that's all that you do. If you're not plugged into life groups, if you're not plugged in to discipleship, God doesn't call us to be on our own. So if the, uh, the band want to wanna jump back up. I just want to give you an opportunity this morning, whether it's the first time or whether it's for the hundredth time, but I really believe that God has spoken to us on this vision. I 100% believe it so much so. I'm, I'm here. I'm in. Like, whatever. You know, God, speak to me. Tell me what I what my role is in part of being. Because you know what, going through this process of this preach has actually taught me, do you know what, I need to be a little bit more intentional about asking what God wants me to do as part of this. I think I know. But I want to know for sure. You might be sat in here going, I actually have no clue, I've been part of this church for years, but I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing. Ask him. And this morning it can start by simply, we're going to sing a song called Build My Life. And during this song, if you want to be part of that, if you want to take a stand and say, do you know what, I'm going to commit to growing this church. If you're a visitor here this morning and you go to another church, you can stand for your church. It doesn't matter, we're all the same. But let's take a stand to say, God, I believe that this vision is for our church. And God, I want to be part of that. Use me. And, and I'm going to be at the front and there's going to be still, Jim and Joy are going to be at the front as well and Dana Holzer here if you want someone to pray for you this morning please come to the front whether it's prayer for perseverance whether it's prayer just to cry out to God in the middle of your storm or whether you want to pray that God gives you a command this morning then we'd love to pray for you but in this song when you feel ready I'd like you to stand and I'd like you to stand in, in recognition of God calling us into this vision and saying I want to be part of it I'm going to play my part in it. Um, and then, you know, Holes is going to jump, jump back up and we'll, we'll close the service there. But, you know, I want to challenge you this morning. I'm in. I am 100% in. And are you?